We're starting a new series this morning, uh, three weeks in the Old Testament book of Haggai. It's also pronounced Haggai. Both are acceptable pronunciations, so let's not have any fistfights over that one after church. Uh, Haggai was a minor prophet. As my dad might have said, that means poor old Haggai never made it to the majors. Uh, do you know what the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is? The major prophets wrote a lot. The minor prophets wrote a little. That, it's really difficult to get what it's all about, but that's basically, in a nutshell, what it is. Um, if you want to turn there with, in, with me in your Bibles, go right ahead and find Haggai. Some of you are sweating right now, aren't you? Yeah, you're like, I haven't turned there in a while. Where's Haggai? Well, it's just after Zephaniah and just before Zechariah. Does that help any? Okay, it's on page 884 of my Bible. I don't know about yours. Uh, you probably have an index or use your device and type in H-A-G-G-A-I. How's that? So we're going to be in Haggai today. Before we get into it, I wanted to start by, by thinking about how we can wake up at a certain stage of life and have this sinking or unsettled feeling. Uh, maybe by this point in your life, you honestly, you expected more. You, you thought by the time you reached this, uh, whatever it is, that, that there'd be something different or, or something better, and somehow you're kind of surprised that this is where you are. Um, it could happen really at any stage. Uh, you could be in high school or, or college, uh, and uh, you think by this time you'd, you'd know what you were going to do with your life, <laughs> but honestly, you feel kind of like, I don't have a clue. Um, could be you've done school, You've, you've got a degree, and because you, you've got a degree, you thought that maybe you'd, you'd uh, have a real job with real benefits, and yet the job that you do have is maybe something that you feel is kind of below your capabilities. You thought there'd be more. It may be that you thought at, at such and such an age, you'd be married by now, and you're not married, or you are married, and you thought you'd have a better marriage, and you really don't like your marriage the way you should. Uh, maybe you, you think kids would come along and somehow fill the void. You don't have kids, so, so on the other hand, maybe you have kids, and the void has been sufficiently filled. You're now busy and broke, <laughs> something like that. You're thinking, though, that you'd be more. Uh, I know we have some retired folks here. It could be that you're retired, and you thought that kind of once you were finished with that sort of formal work season of your life, life would be full. Life would be better. Life would be right, and, and it, it would be different. And there'd be probably some people who'd say, I, I, I'm going to try religion, and so they do the religious thing, and, and life doesn't really change so much, and they wake up and think, I thought at, at this point there'd be something more, there'd be something better, there'd be something different. And, and really, you might say, this was the mood during the time when Haggai was, was written. The, the people were saying, I really, really thought we'd be in a much different place, we'd be in much better shape than we are now. So before we dive into the book of Haggai, what I want to do is, is give you the backstory before we go on to the main story. Uh, I want to give you the prequel before we get to the sort of the, ma the main or feature film. So we go back all the way to the reign of King Solomon, and it's where we'll start. And I'll give you a quick overview. During the, the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, Solomon was David's son, Solomon started construction on the most magnificent temple for God. And this temple that Solomon built was more amazing and magnificent than anything you could imagine. I mean, literally, people traveled to Jerusalem from all over the world to see this work of art, this architecture, and to worship God there. It was completely amazing. 
But after Solomon dies, the people's hearts turned away from God. They got distracted, like, like people often do, and they turned to idols and worshipped idols. And God allowed this kind of string of events to take place in order to pull their hearts back to himself. In 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king, king of, of Babylon, and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah, destroying the temple. And not only was it, it compu- completely humiliating, I mean, uh, basically they leveled the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they grabbed a, a bunch of the people from there. Um, th- but to add insult to injury, they destroyed the house where God lived, where God dwelt, stripping away the spiritual identity of the people of, of Jerusalem, of, of the Jewish people. And they felt completely devastated. And as a result of, of the city's destruction, the temple's destruction, and the invasion, the Jews were taken into captivity for decades, specifically 50 years, uh, technically 70, because they were already somewhat in captivity for a while before the destruction of the temple. But for 50 years after the temple and on, they were being held captive in Jerusalem or in, in Babylon. Now, now we read this in scripture and we kind of I don't know if it registers in our minds uh, you hear about the exile period in the in the in the Jews' lives, the, the people of Israel's history. And and I don't think we kind of get what it would be like to be taken into captivity. I mean, can you imagine? Um, I don't know if we can. Soldiers uh, bashing your door, you know, they come with a uh, one of those little battering rams you see on TV, they break in, they, they grab you roughly, take you, and, and off you are to the airport, and they lard you on a cargo plane, and they, they drop you in some far-off place. I'm, I'm going to just pick one out of thin air. How about Uzbekistan? Like, there you go. That's where you are now going to live indefinitely. In fact, it seems in terms of world politics, you may never return. I, I mean, this isn't so far removed from what people in our world experience now and in our day. I mean, the Syrian refugee crisis, we're seeing this, right? I mean, uh, a city leveled. I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of, of the cities there, and it's tragic. I mean, it, not only are they t- torn from their homes, there's no, no home to ever go back to. When they, when they leave, the, the four and a half million people and counting, people that have fled there, they, they basically know that they won't ever go back there. It's one of those kind of experiences. We saw this a little bit when we visited Sri Lanka last year, and we were able to drive past. We weren't allowed to visit, but able to drive past these large complexes where, as a result of the last war, Tamils are kept in tents, temporary shelters, and they've been there for years. And there's tent camps like that, if you can imagine, all over our world, displaced and dislocated people. I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like to have that happen to you. It would be like a nightmare that just was never going to end. Then can you imagine the, the response, the, the people of Israel's response in, in 538 BC? They hear the news that 50,000 people are allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, the, the capital city of Judah, to rebuild. Finally, after Five decades, they get to go home. They get to rebuild a house for God. They get to have their own place again, their own nation again. You can, you can only imagine their relief and their, their excitement and their anticipation of this really good thing. And so they went. About 50,000 Jewish people traveled back to Jerusalem. They started to rebuild the temple for God. And, and they rebuilt, we're told, they rebuilt the foundation. 
They rebuilt the altar. And then during the rebuild, something happened. Some of the surrounding peoples come along. The Samaritans came in, and they opposed their work. They, were, they opposed and got in the way of this rebuild, and it got hard, and it got difficult. And these returned refugees, they got thinking, I guess this isn't the time to rebuild the temple because it's not easy. It's hard. And so they stopped. That's the, the backstory. I love this. We were just going to read the scripture, and, and here we're having it read by someone's phone, and he's like, I can't shut it off. I can't do it. Ushers, remove that man from the room. I love saying that. That's such a great privilege of being up here. Remove him. Just call me Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, that's right. Anyway, so uh, for, for something, uh, that's the backstory. as I said, for something like 14 years, the people didn't work on the temple. For, for five decades, that's, I mean, think about this, five decades. I'm, I'm not even 50 years yet. That means I would have been born into captivity. My sons would have been born into captivity. That's how long 50 years would have been. And for 50 years, all they thought about was rebuilding this temple. But when it got hard and when it di- got difficult, guess what they did? They stopped, and they started building their own houses. They gave up on that. We're, we're told they built very nice houses, and they forgot about God. So what, did, what God did was he raised up the prophet Haggai to call the people back to rebuild the temple for God. All right, that's the context. Does that make sense? That's where we start. Now let's read uh, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Do you want to turn on your phone? Just, we just <laughs> save me some... Lung space there. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it time? Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, which each of you is busy with your own house, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for the gift of this this, uh, great word from your prophet uh, more than 2,500 years ago. Uh, You inspired him and... uh, brought good news to a people, and I pray you would bring your good news to us this morning and unveil it to us, uh, open our eyes and open our ears that we might hear and respond. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's dive into verse 2 of, of Haggai 1, and it actually starts off in a way that is kind of funny to me. Um, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. These people say the time has not yet come. Now, I, I, what I find funny about this is that because most everywhere else in the Bible, when in the Old Testament, especially when God talks about his people, he says, my people. In this case, he does my, what my wife does sometimes when our kids get into trouble and and sometimes, I don't know if this happens in your home, but I've come home and, and uh, they've done something that day and she's, she's, she says something like this to me, you're not going to believe what your kids did today, right? You know, when they're in trouble, somehow they're, they're my kids and yet I somehow remember she was kind of there and somewhat involved when they were born and, and even a little bit involved when they were, in, were conceived, you had a little bit to do with them. I'd say they're your kids too, but God doesn't have a wife, <laughs> And so he doesn't say, your kids did, did this, but in essence, he says, these people, they're not my people. <laughs> these people are saying the time is not now to build the temple. The time is not now. Question, why did they think the time was not now? They thought the time was not now because they received opposition. That the Samaritans were opposing them, and I suspect that, that you and I, I suspect that we can relate to this. You know, so often when we, when we bump into opposition, we, we jump to the conclusion that it must not be God's will. It just got hard. This got, just got difficult. We need to understand that often when we get closer to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely it is that we will face opposition. Um, you see, opposition isn't a sign that, that God is against you. A lot of times it's a sign that you are doing what God wants you to do. Uh, Angel and I, over the years, have, have led a young married groups, uh, couples that, that are in their first early years, one, two, maybe three or four years of marriage, feel like it's kind of a pattern-setting season in, in a young couple's life as a couple. And, and so we, we invite them over for dinner uh, about once a month, and uh, we talk about marriage and relationship and that kind of thing. And I remember, we'll never forget our first group, We'd uh, meet, like I said, about once a month, and we'd invite these young couples over, and uh, we'd have these amazing talks, and it was like they were just soaking it up. They want to teach us how to do this thing called marriage, and they're, they're excited, and they're enthusiastic. But I kid you not, month after month, when we would do these groups, the night before, Angel and I find ourselves just button heads about stupid things. Like, I mean, we'd have these really great little fights about nothing. I mean, I know some of you can fight about nothing, but these were, this was nothing. We were really fighting about nothing. And uh, this, this would happen. To, uh, it would happen sometimes the morning of this marriage group or the night before or whatever. Sometimes it would happen minutes before they arrived at your door, and you're then trying to pour in wisdom about marriage. Yes, that, that w went over that well. Well, after a succession of months where this happened every single time, we weren't fighting that much elsewise. We're like going, uh... I'm not very bright, but I think I can connect the dots here that, that something good is happening in that group and, and somebody doesn't want that good thing to happen. We're, I think we're experiencing spiritual opposition. And so we began to pray and, and actually just even acknowledging and, and noticing that this was something we were experiencing. Uh, on those nights before and the mornings of when we would begin to have a fight, it was like one of us would often stop and say, hey, stop for a second. Do you know what today is? It's marriage group. 
this is our marriage group fight. And, and oftentimes we would, we would just kind of laugh in that moment, laugh at what we were fighting about, which was nothing, and recognize it for what it was. And honestly, as we began to recognize that thing, the opposition kind of stopped, actually. We carried on with that kingdom-building work. I've heard this from other people. I mean, uh, uh, one of our, our musicians last Sunday was saying, it, it only happens when I'm on music at Hillside that the night before is the night where my kid is going to stay up all night and cry all through the night. It happens pretty much every time I'm on, on the music team. And some of you, you, you step out and, and join a ministry and do something, and then, then it's like, oh, hell seems to break loose. And you're going, well, that wasn't a good idea. Obviously, I'm not doing God's will. You know what? I, I really don't worry so much when, when people are opposing me. I, I kind of worry when no one is because it's likely that I'm not doing very much for the glory of God. The moment you start to move forward and, and do something and, and be obedient to what God has called you to, there's very likely spiritual opposition on the way. Uh, so when you find yourself being obedient and it gets difficult and, and challenging as it often does, I want to encourage you with this one simple thought, one kind of simple thought this morning. If you're taking notes, this is it. With God's help, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the, the easy wrong. Over and over and over again, tell yourself, God, with, with, with your help, enable me, em, empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy to stop focusing on God and to start focusing on myself. Uh, it would be hard and it would be right to, to build this temple, to rebuild this temple. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy when someone hurts your feelings, to hold a grudge, to be angry with them. But it's hard and it's right to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Um, it's easy to spend more money than you have and, and just buy whatever you want and kind of rack up the debt. It is, it is hard and it's right to, to climb out of debt, to live beneath your means, and, and to live in such a way that you can be massively generous with other people. It's so easy to give up. It's, it's so easy to, to not make a difference. But, but we as, as followers of Jesus, with, with the help of God, we choose the hard right over the easy wrong. This is what the, the prophet Haggai is going to empower the people of God to do. He essentially tells them, now is the time. Not tomorrow, not next month, not 14 years from now. Now is the time to rebuild. Now, uh, for many of you, I want you to think for just a moment and ask yourself this question. Is there some unfinished assignment in your life? I want you to think and I want you to experience kind of the rest of this message through the lens of what might be an unfinished assignment for you. So just think back. It, it could have been yesterday. It, it, it could have been a month ago. It could have been 14 years ago where you believe that, that God actually placed something on your heart. Um, for example, uh, you sense that God was asking you to reach out to a friend and maybe share your faith with them. Now, that would be hard, and that would be difficult, and so maybe you chose the easy way out. Or, or you made a decision to really work on honoring God with, with your body and, and getting in shape, but, but it was hard, and, and so you gave up. Or maybe you felt like you were supposed to serve somewhere in the church. You were supposed to start a ministry. Or say you were supposed to initiate a relationship, but, but you kind of chickened out. 
Uh, maybe you felt you were supposed to give something away to somebody. You, you, you knew there was something you were supposed to do. Maybe you felt like you were supposed to start journaling. Or, or maybe you felt like you were supposed to, to write a book. Think about something that, that was on your heart. You, you really felt like, like it was a, a burden. You know, it, most likely from God, but you didn't do it. Think, think about it for a moment. And, and if God shows you something, I want you to listen to the rest of this message through, the, through what might be that unfinished assignment. For, for many of you, for some of you, God might speak to you in a, in a way like Haggai. He used Haggai to speak to those people. He, he might say something like, the time is now. Let's read on in verses 3 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and God asked, Is it a time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while this house, my house, remains a ruin? Now this is what God says, and, and we're going to see that God say this kind of phrase a, a, a couple more times. God says, give careful thought to your ways. He says that before this. Give careful thought. Think about how you're living, in other words. Is it time for you to live in these paneled homes while my house kind of sits in, in ruins? They might say, what is a paneled house? Um, in the 1970s here in Canada, uh, it, we had things called rec rooms. Anybody have a rec room growing up? recreation, that's short for recreation room, it was called. We called them rec rooms. I always thought it was spelled R-W-R-E-C-K as a child, because you, you could wreck it, something like that. It, and it had wood paneling. I mean, and you didn't have to be rich to have wood paneling. I, I, I mean, I was, we, we, had a, kind of, we were poor growing up, and we had paneling. We had wood paneling. How, how many had paneling growing up? How many still have paneling? They have this thing, it's called redecorating. Yeah, we, 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 we'll help you with that. It's a ministry of our church to help you lose the paneling. But, <laughs> hey, but back then, according to some scholars, uh, this was high-end living. If you had a paneled home, this was, this was living. You see, most of the homes there were, were built out of stone. What they would do is they'd build a stone home, but that wasn't nice enough for people, so what they would do is they'd add paneling on the interior, so it would be a paneled home which was high in living. It's like granite countertops and then some. You know, it would be like heated floors in the bathroom. You like, you like paneling. Okay, all right, okay. We're going to have a, a, a discussion right now just about the vir virtues of paneling in basements. Be quiet, you two. Ushers, see them out as well. But, but here's the thing. You've got all this kind of stuff, all, all this high-end living going on. And, and, and I want to say this. God isn't against us having nice things. He's against us putting nice things ahead of him. God, God is not against us having nice things. He's against us. He's against nice things having us. Right? And, and at this point in the story, the people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house and ahead of God's priority. He says, give careful thought to your ways. And so I just thought I'd raise the question right now as, as you look at maybe an unfinished assignment, ask yourself, are you putting your comfort, your own comfort ahead of his calling? Are you trying to make more of a, a name for yourself than you are to make, make a difference? Are, are you putting your house ahead of his house? Are, are you consumed with yourself instead of being consumed with God in showing his love to other people? 
Is there something you're putting ahead of ahead of God? Uh, God says, give careful thought to your ways. God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Let me give you an example of what God has been saying to me recently. It's been really practical. It's about getting physically fit. It's been a reoccurring message in my life in the last couple of years especially. And uh, I've struggled with obeying God in that call towards physical fitness. I, I, I really have. Um, it, it's, it's been a struggle, and, and I find I come up with all kinds of reasons why not. I, I, I love to exercise outdoors. And so that means that in British Columbia, you get a little window of time between like July and August when you can exercise, really, it seems like. And in fact, I've really determined that this new year, 20, 2016, was going to be the year where I, I just every, you know, three times a week, I was, and, and yet the weather's been uncooperative, and I've, we've had about two days where I could exercise this last nine weeks or so, it seems like, right? An umbrella. Who exercises under an umbrella? I don't want to hear answers, people. I'm the one preaching. <laughs> I knew if I brought this up, I'd get a list of how-tos. It's my story. <laughs> Can I tell you, one of the things that's been a frustration is, I'm a big man, I got big feet, I burn through shoes, and, and I actually, my last, pair, last couple pair of runners, it seems like I got like three months out of them, and they just, just destroyed. And, and, I, I, and, and my, you know, our... My wife doesn't like me paying money for big shoes, expensive shoes, and so I, I've, I've used her as an excuse. Well, you know, we can't afford shoes for me to, and long and the short of it this week, I said enough is enough. I'm going to start ex exercising indoors when I need to, and I went shoe shopping for the first time in a long time this week, and I'm still looking for that perfect pair of shoes, but I'm on the hunt because... I feel like God has been speaking to me about this in my own life. Some of you right now, there'll be something in your life where you know you're, you're supposed to do it. God has, has called you to do it, and you're like me. You're, you're taking the easy wrong when God says, choose the hard right. The time is now. I want to show you some verses that to me are a little haunting. I mean, to imagine that things have changed so little since 500 years before Christ. This is what God says and, and I guarantee you that there will be many of us who can say, I, I feel exactly like this, or I can relate to this. God says to them in verse 6, You planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Let me give you the modern translation. You know, you're, you're working your tail off, and you still don't feel like you have anything. You're pouring your life into some career, and it feels empty, or it feels hollow. You have more than you've ever had before, and, and you still don't feel satisfied. So you entertain yourself, you, you go to games, you go to movies, you, you eat out, yet there's still this longing for something more. If Dr. Phil would he, were here this morning, he'd say, so how is that working for you? And so God rightly says, give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting your house ahead of God's house? Is there... There's some unfinished business. God led you to do something, and you haven't done it. Verse 7 and 8. This is so cool to me. God is so loving, and he's go, so good. They're, they're thinking, we got to build this temple. We don't feel good enough to do it. It's not going well. There is opposition. It's, it's difficult. This is so hard. Look how loving God is. This is verse, what God says. Verse 7, he says again, give careful thought to your ways, he says. 
And then basically he says, what we're going to do is we're going to break this down for you three simple steps. Here's what you do. Number one, you go up to the mountains. Number two, you bring down the timber. Number three, you build my house. That's this is what God said. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, and build my house. Now, I know some of you, this is overwhelming for some of you. You probably didn't have time to take it in, so let me just say it again. You go up to the mountains, you bring down the timber, and, and you build my house. Did you get that? Because I can do that all day. Go up to the mountain. Wait a minute. Going up to the mountain, that sounds hard. Have you, have you seen that mountain? That's hard. We'll choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And bring them down timber, that's, that's difficult, that's hard. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Come down and build the temple, step by step. God's so loving. God says, step by step by step. Here's how, here's how you do it. One, two, and three. And, and here's a problem. So many of us are saying, God, what about steps four, five, and six? Like, I need details here, God. Can you... I want the plan A to Z. Who's going to pay for this? How's it going to happen? Where are we going to go? What are we gonna, what's going to go on? Who's going to be there? I mean, am I going to get a tax write-off for this? I need to know the details, God. How much time is it going to take? How long do I have to do this? And how long before it all works out? And am I going to get my, my name on the temple? Because if I don't get my name on the temple, I won't feel very good about this. Uh, you know, I need steps four, five, and six. But God says, don't worry about steps four, five, and six. Just do one, two, and three. He says, my word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. And if God's word is a lamp unto our feet, then, then he may show us steps one, two, and three. And we won't see steps four, five, and six until we actually take steps one, two, and three. So you have to do what God has showed you first before he reveals more. It's a, it's a faith walk. And Sometimes we say, God, I, I want the details. And God says, you can't handle the details. I'll give you what you need when you get there, but you need to take the first step. What's that first step for you? What do you do? You go up to the mountain, you bring down the timber, and start building my house, okay? You really want to get in better shape and, and you, you don't know where to start, start eating healthy. Uh, get eight hours of sleep a night. Start exercising. You want to get out of debt, but you don't know where to start, start by getting help from somebody who knows what they're doing. Ask for help. Spend less than you earn. Start paying down your debt. Your, your marriage could use some work, and, and you're not quite sure what to do about it. Here's a, a, a simple idea. Ask God about it. Pray and listen, and then what do you do, God? I, you want me to work on it? Humble yourself. Uh, apologize for where you've been wrong. Uh, do what you used to do. Date write love notes, kiss, listen, um, all those great things, step by step by step. God's not going to show you step four, five, and six until you, you take step one, two, and three. And this is really what it means to walk by the Spirit, to allow him to, 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 to let, let his path for you kind of unfold as you take steps of obedience. So there's an unfinished assignment. What do I do? Very simply, the way to get, get started is to, to quit st- Quit talking and start doing. <laughs> That's it. Just, just quit thinking about it. Quit talking about it and, and go up the mountain today. Do something today. Do the next thing that God has showed you to do. Do it today. Be, be faithful to God today. As I was thinking of examples 
of this this week, I uh, came across an essay where Mary Angelou, M- Maya Angelou, I should say, the beloved American poet, she described the birth of her first and only son, a child she named Gary. Let me, let me read you an excerpt of her essay that she wrote about that season in her life when she was just 16 years old. This is what it says. When I was 16, a boy in high school evinced interest in me, so I had sex with him just once. And after I came out of that room, I thought, is that all there is to it? My goodness, I'll never do that again. (laughs) Talking about sex, she does. Then when I found out I was pregnant, I went to the boy and asked for help, but he said it wasn't his baby and he didn't want any part of it. I was scared to pieces. Back then, if you had money, there were some girls who got abortions, but I couldn't deal with that idea. Oh, no, no, I knew there was somebody inside me, so I decided to keep the baby. After I tried to hide the pregnancy from my mother, I'll never forget what she asked me. Now, tell me this. Do you love this boy? I said, no. Does he love you? I said, no. And there's no point in ruining three lives. We're going to have our baby. She was very loving, very accepting, not one minute of recrimination, and I never felt any shame. I'm telling you that the best decision I ever made was keeping that baby. Yes, absolutely. Guy was a delight from the start, so good, so bright, and I can't imagine my life without him. At 17, I got a job as a cook and later as a nightclub waitress. My mother said, remember this, you can always come home. She kept that door open, and every time life kicked me in the belly, I'd go home for a few weeks. I struggled, sure. We lived hand to mouth, but it was really heart to hand. Guy had love and laughter and a lot of good reading and poetry as a child. Having my son brought out the best in me and enlarged my my life, whatever he missed, he himself is a great father today. Years later, when I was married, I wanted to have more children, but I couldn't conceive. Isn't it wonderful that I had a child at 16? Praise God, she says. In so many ways, for that 16-year-old girl, it would have been more convenient, less disruptive, and difficult for, for Maya Angelou to choose a very, very different path. But, but with the help of her mother, and let me say this, we will need community to do this. We really will. To choose the hard right over the easy wrong, we'll need each other to do this. And that's what she did. She chose the hard right over the easy wrong. And, and, and let me tell you this, that when, when you start... What happens when you start doing the hard right over the easy wrong, it, it's amazing. I, I think of, of the best things in my life, the things that have been the most fruitful, the things that have brought the most joy, the most life-giving things. They, they've been the things that where I, I've sought to follow God's call even when it seemed hard and even se- when it seemed obedient. Uh, obedience was impossible. Friends, Let's, let's not miss it. Let's not miss those opportunities because here is the deal. For me, I had no, ideas, uh, no idea what the blessings of God were on the other side of obedience. I, I, knew, I never knew how amazing the blessings of God would be on the other side of obedience. So ultimately, you, you do what God calls you to do. So you're supposed to reach out to someone that hurts you. What if they don't respond well? Guess what? You're not responsible for the outcome. You are responsible for the obedience. That's it. You do what God called you to do. You're not responsible for the outcome. That's God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. 
So what is it? I'd say we all have something like this. Maybe you've got a, a sin that has been, it's a secret sin really that's been plaguing you and plaguing you and you're keeping it hushed, hushed, and it's, it's easy to keep it a secret. It is, it is hard and it is right to confess it and to get help and ask for help. Maybe you're playing kind of fake happy marriage and, and you got everybody around you fooled and it's easy to do that. Um, it's easy to pretend and to lie and to make everybody think that everything's okay. It's hard and it's right to say, you know what? This isn't going so well. We need help. We, we need counseling. Maybe God prompted you at, at some point in, in your journey to serve in the church. I, I, I should make a difference. And you're, you're like asking the question, is that God or, or Satan tempting me to serve? This isn't rocket science, folks. That's God, okay? <laughs> Satan will never tempt you to serve, I don't think. So what are you going to do? Choose the hard right and don't leave the building today without saying to somebody, sign me up, put me to work. I want to help. I want to be involved. If there's some unfinished assignment, don't make God raise up a Haggai in your life to call you back. Don't make God say that person because you are his child, my child. He wants us and calls us to be obedient. The time is now. So whenever God gives us an assignment, we're, we're going to be obedient. And we're not going to worry about the outcome. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. We're going to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And maybe God's going to speak to some of you today and tell you the time is now. We're going to spend some time in prayer. Why don't, why don't you bow your heads with me and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are, you are here present with us, God, that your word is living and your word is active. And we thank you that a story that happened 500 years before Jesus is as true today as it was true then. We thank you for your presence, God, that, that you want to minister to us, that we would be different because we are here. And, and we just want to take a moment to reflect. I just want to ask, is there an unfinished assignment? Is there something, someone you're supposed to reach out to, something you're supposed to do, something you're supposed to give, something you're supposed to start, Maybe it's some appreciation you're supposed to show, an apology that you're supposed to give, something that is unfinished. What are steps four, five, and six? We, we don't know. We're going to trust God when we get there, but you just listen to God's invitation to take steps one, two, and three. Go up that mountain. Cut down that timber. Come down and do what God has showed you to do. If there's something like that in your life, I want to just pray for you that as, as, as you would pray for me because there's something like that in my life too. God, I thank you so much for every person here. And I pray, God, for the faith that they would act, taking the first step, whatever that is, trusting you, God, with the outcome, and that they would simply be obedient. God, I know for some people that this will be difficult and it will be challenging. And I thank you, God, that with the help of your Holy Spirit, you will give them boldness and courage to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. God, we thank you in advance that as we take the first step, that we're going to see your provision. We're going to see your power. God, we will 
be obedient and trust you with the outcome. As we keep praying this morning, there are some of you right now that the time is now for you to take a step toward Jesus. I, uh, I grew up in the church and around church and believing in God, but the reality is it took a long time before I really trusted in Christ. Some of you right now, you look at your life and you say, it, it, is there something you're putting ahead of God? Maybe, you know, you're, you'd say there are a lot of things in your life ahead of God, and we need to understand that God has something way better for us than that. He truly wants to be first, and he deserves to be first because he is he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. What does God want from us? He simply wants us to love him with our hearts, all our souls, all our mind, all our strength, and to love other people. That's it. And if you find yourself waking up and you're saying, I'm still empty, I, I've tried so much, I've planted a lot, but I've harvested little. I eat, but I'm still hungry. I drink, but I'm still thirsty. There's got to be something more. It's because there is a Christ-shaped void in your life that nothing else will fill. I sense God is saying to some of us, the time is now, today is the day, where you take a, that first step of putting your faith and trust in Christ. This is the moment where you say, Jesus, be first. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Save me, God. I surrender to you. You can do that right now, maybe for the first time. And maybe you're doing it again uh, for the thousandth time. But simply say, yes, Jesus, I surrender to you. Take all my life. As I was praying before the service this morning, I saw a picture. And it was that some of you grabbed hold a flag, a, a flag attached to a pole. You grabbed it with your, your strong arm. And today was the day where you thrust it into the ground and said, today is the day that I, I get serious about putting God first in my life, and I am going to proclaim and declare that Jesus is Lord over me. I put him first. Today, you just might imagine yourself put, planting that flag for the very first time. I picture some of you, you're going to be uh, taking that first step, that, that unfinished task, and, and uh, it's going to be like Peter stepping out of the boat onto the stormy sea. And it seems like a scary thing to do. And all I can tell you is Jesus is there to greet you and to meet you and to walk with you through it. May, may God empower us to respond today, to do that next step that Jesus is calling us to. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.